You have put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise. A sound that resonates that all of heaven and earth may worship you. We tread the hills to meet with you, to see your majesty in all that surrounds us. For it speaks and displays the eternal God of ages, creator, author, victor. In love, you established an everlasting covenant with your people, and it's your love that captivates us. As children of the King, we rush in as waves unrestrained, overcome, overwhelmed, that the King crowned in glory and splendor would reach down to place a crown upon our heads. So we raise our banner, the banner we boldly stand under, the banner of Jesus Christ. From dusk to dawn, from age to age, your praise resounds in all the earth. Deliverer, Redeemer, ruler of an everlasting kingdom that cannot be shaken. We trust in the name of Christ Jesus, the only King forever. Welcome to Zion's Redemption Radio. This is Fundamentally Mormon. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. You can find this at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. And the text will also be posted on my Facebook wall at facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. You can also find the text and the audio to this radio program on iTunes at Fundamentally Mormon and in the different Facebook groups that I am an admin of. Some of those groups are LDS Last Days Prophecy and Gospel Discussions, LDS Gospel Mysteries, Latter-day Unity, and others. You can find the pages that I admin also on my Facebook wall. And if you enjoy this program, please friend request me or follow me and uh, make me one of your close friends. We try to put out as many episodes as we can during the week. But I'm thankful for you to be here today. Let's get right into the reading today. We are going to be reading out of Ogden Kraut's books. You can find his books for free to read online at ogdenkraut.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. Shalom Alakim, this is Mark Lichtenwalter coming to you live on the 27th day of July 2021. The guest caller number is 917-889-8827. We're going to be getting into Chapter 10 of Holy Priesthood, Volume 6, Keys, uh, Kings and Keys. Kim, my wife, will be reading the program t- uh, in the program tonight. I'll be making comments. I am almost to Sunnyside Dip. Kim, are you there? Yep, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Uh, also, there is a chat room available for people to uh, comment on the program, uh, and that is at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. Sorry. And I'm about to go into Sunnyside Depth, so you got it? Yep. Um, I have my little monkey here tonight, my littlest, and he is attached to me like uh, a baby to his mom. (laughs) And hopefully he's going to let me read tonight. Right now he is chewing olives in my ear. (laughs) <laughs> which I'm sure everybody can hear. <laughs> All right. So, um, did you want to do the dedication tonight? 
Oh, he must have got in Sunnyside. Yep, in Sunnyside. Yep, I heard you. Um, tonight we're reading Chapter 10, Kings and Keys, on page 166. Um or it is um, in Holy Priesthood, Volume 6, page 985. Um, let's go ahead and do a prayer first, though. Let's do a dedication. Do you want to say a prayer with Mommy? God for the arms. Okay, let's say a prayer. Our beloved Father in Heaven, we come before Thee this evening and give Thee praise and thanks, Lord. And we offer our time unto thee as you have have done for us in so many different times in the past. We are grateful, Lord, that you are patient with us and that you are helping us to learn and to better ourselves and help us tonight, Lord, please, to be more understanding of thy word and help us to Learn what it is that thou would have us. Let us hear thy Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our minds. We ask thee to watch over us as well as our families as as we are separate tonight. And we ask a blessing on the listeners as well. Please watch over and guide us to do thy will. And... We just thank thee, Lord, and ask thy spirit to be with us. And these things we pray for in the name of thy son, Yeshua, even Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay. So, chapter 10, Kings and Keys. And I will make thee, Abraham, fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. That's Genesis chapter 17, verse 6. Protestants and Catholics alike have studied the scriptures in an attempt to understand the different offices existing in the early Christian church, but they have no knowledge of their real purpose or function. They have occasionally incorporated some elders, teachers, or deacons into their churches, but even then, they're unsure of all the functions of those offices. John Taylor talked about kings and priests that officiated sometimes after the days of Noah. And this quote will be from Journal of Discourse, Volume 17, page 207, quote, We find that after the days of Noah, an order was introduced called the Patriarchal Order, in which every man managed his own family affairs, and prominent men among them were kings and priests unto God, and officiated in what is known among us as the priesthood of the Son of God, or the priesthood after the order of Melchizedek, end quote. That's Journal of Discourse. Volume 17, page 207. The Apostle John also mentioned kings and priests unto God. In, let's see, Revelations chapter 1, verses 5 through 6, and see also Revelations chapter 5, verse 10. Quote, Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Again, that's Revelations chapter 1, verses 5 through 6. But see also Revelations chapter 5, verse 10. And we're on page 167 now. So in that Revelation, in chapter 1 of Revelation, um, just to clarify, John is speaking about Jesus Christ when it says, and he hath made us. It's speaking about Jesus. So I would read it. And Jesus had made, hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, which shows a plurality of God, not a Trinity doctrine, but Jesus and his Father and a Father above him. Um, and I know we're not talking about that right now, but just real quick for any Trinitarians listening. Uh, Jesus told be with me in paradise, but three days later he said he had not yet been to where his father is at when he was speaking to Mary in the garden tomb. But go into my brethren and say unto them, I go into my father and your father and to my God and to your God. He's speaking of Michael, the archangel, who is the father of this earth. 
and Yehovah Elohim, who is the father above him. So, and that with Revelations chapter 1. But anyway, I just thought I'd bring that up real quick. I'll mute myself. Okay, you were breaking up just a little bit, but I think the point still got across. The Apostle John also mentioned kings and priests unto God. Oh, I'm sorry. John said that the Lord had made us kings, which means several were ordained to that position. And we shall reign, not just one. John also said in Revelation chapter 17, verse 11, quote, These, the unrighteous kings, shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. End quote. That's Revelation chapter 17, verse 11. If Jesus is to be a king of kings, it means he will rule over kings of his own, not just gentle kings or Gentile kings, excuse me. There are two kinds of kings, the kings of the earth and the kings and priests of God. Of the wicked kings of the earth, it is said in Revelation chapter 17, verses 1 through 2, quote, the great whore that sitteth upon many waters with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication and inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. End quote. Revelation chapter 17, verses 1 and 2. But the kings of God are those who are called and chosen and faithful. That's Revelation chapter 17, verse 11. Joseph Smith mentioned the difference between kings of God and kings of the earth. In Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 318, quote, Have we not learned the priesthood after the order of Melchizedek, which includes both prophets, priests, and kings? See Revelation chapter 1, verse 6. And I will advance your prophet to a priest and then to a king, not to the kingdoms of this earth, but the, of the most high God. See Revelation chapter 5, verse 10. Thou hast made us unto our God, kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. End quote. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 318. And now we're on page 168. They and are I mentioned by the Lord. Something. Okay. <laughs> I thought so. You've got to give me two seconds to like, get to that mute <laughs> button so I can unmute Oh, myself. man. That's All a right. long pause for me. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway. Um, so we've got two different types of kings within the kingdom. We have true and faithful kings. And then we have kings who go whoring themselves off after the world. Uh, the scriptures in the New Testament says, Know ye not to be friends with the world is to be at enmity with God. Enmity means in the opposition with God. When it's speaking of whores, it is always speaking of the church in whatever dispensation that they are supposed to be the bride of Christ and the kings and priests of Christ, but they go whoring themselves off after Babylon the Great, when we've been commanded over and over and over again to come out of Babylon, but we love Babylon so much that it's like that we are cheating on our husband. And he calls us whores because that's exactly what we are when we're cheating on him in the way that we are. We are supposed to be a kadosh, holy, set-apart people to keep the priesthood, to keep all of the ordinances and the commandments, not to be going off and making Babylonian money, making ourselves slaves in Babylon. We're supposed to be a separate and holy people. And when we don't do that, I don't care how good you are within Babylon. And, you know, you, you might not cuss. You might do all the things at church because it's all basic level stuff anyway. But then you go off into Babylon the Great and you you build Babylon the Great up instead of the kingdom of God up. I don't care how much you like what you're doing. You're nothing more than a whore. So uh, about half the listeners just dropped off right now, I think. But that's okay because I don't care. Anyway, uh, I'm here to I'm, – I'm an equal opportunity offender, and I would like to call people to repentance. But in our uh, – this, this generation of the world is so – brainwashed by the socialist mantra and all of the toleration for every wicked act and every wicked thing that, you know, they'll, they will get offended and go off 
crying about how horrible the church is because um, they don't like, I don't know, they they speak out against sin. Now, anyway, um, and you know what, people that do that, they are basically, they're supposed to be the bride of Christ, but they're nothing more than whores. Anyway, uh, go ahead, Kim. Okay. <clears throat> oh, can you hear me? I think I spoke before I unmuted it completely. Okay. I can hear you. Okay, good. <laughs> um, Arius needs a blankie on him really quickly, and I am doing that. And he is climbing back up. Okay, are we ready? Okay, we're ready. They are mentioned by the Lord himself when he was describing those who would come forth in the resurrection of the just and eventually inherit the celestial kingdom. In D&C 76, verses 56 through 57, quote, They are they who are priests and kings, who have received of his fullness and of his glory, and are priests of the Most High after the order of Melchizedek, which was after the order of Enoch, which was after the order of the only begotten Son. End quote. Again, that's D&C. Chapter 76, verse 56 through 57. When interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's dreams, the prophet Daniel prophesied of the latter days, when the Lord would establish a kingdom which would not be after the pattern of otherworldly kingdoms, which is curious because every single church that ever is on is always, on the earth has, is always patterned after um, a government because it's all corrupted by men, the ideas well, of men. Well, there is a government of God, and it should be a patterned after the government of God, and that does have hierarchy and structure to it. Uh-huh. Um, but the kingdom, so in the millennium, there will be two kingdoms. There will be Zion, and there will be the New Jerusalem. One is the capital of the political uh, structure during the millennium, millennial reign, and one is the uh, the capital of the theological structure in the millennial reign. Um, there will be a kingdom, and it is not the church. The church is part of the kingdom, but it is not the political portion of the kingdom of God that we're talking about. Um, so I I don't know. It's just that the church wants to dumb everything down so that people don't ask questions, and they want to make things into something that they're not to gaslight. Um, but I've talked about that in the past on this on this program. So I guess I, I'll just uh, mute myself again. Okay. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, it says, quote, And in the, the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom, which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. End quote. Daniel chapter two, verse forty-four. Have any of the Christian oh, churches claimed to have? Oh, I got to say about that. Already, I've only gotten like four lines. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is important. The LDS people want to think that the, that the stone cut out of the mountain made without hands is is the church somehow that'll go forth and destroy all the kingdoms of the earth. Um, they're conforming to the kingdoms of the earth, not destroying them. Also, Daniel saw a mountain made without hands. And why was that mountain made without hands? Because it is the mountain of the house of God. That's the church. The stone that is cut out of the mountain, back in the days of Jesus, he was the stone and rock of Judah. In these days, it is the stone and rock of Joseph that is cut out of the, the mountain made without hands, which is the church. The stone cut out is a person, is Messiah ben Joseph, who is excommunicated from the church that has gone into apostasy. And from that stone, the stone and rock of Ephraim, which is mentioned in Genesis chapter 49, is the stone, is the head of the stone that creates the kingdom. As Babylon falls apart, the kingdom will gain strength. But that the, the, the mountain made without hands, that's the church. 
and the church rejects the stone. Just like the church back in the days of Jesus Christ rejected the stone. When Moroni uh, spoke to Joseph Smith in Joseph Smith history around verse 40, Moroni says that the man of Acts chapter 2 verse uh, or wait, maybe it's Acts chapter 3, 22 and 23 I think. And speaking of the man like unto Moses, Moroni said that that man was Christ, but the day had not yet come when he would be rejected by his people. Well, Jesus Christ has already been rejected by that point, so it's not speaking of Jesus Christ like people think it is. It's speaking of this other Christ or this other Messiah, because there's two. There's a political one, and there's a theological, uh, uh, th- you know, and Jesus Christ was the man that held that position. And he is a king of kings and a lord of lords, but under God the Father, there are two witnesses. It's by the mouth of two or three witnesses that every word is established. So he has two apostles, as spoken of in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 14. But that man who uh, is the man like unto Moses is Christ, but they, the day had not yet come when he would be rejected by his people. Now, a lot of people think that's Joseph Smith. He was not rejected by his people. They may not have listened to everything that he said, but he was held in high regard by his people. So it's not speaking of him. And it's speaking of in the very end, the very last days, that God would have this stone roll forth, preaching the message, building up the kingdom. That's what happens in the last days. And when we get the fullness of the priesthood among all of the saints, or worthy to receive it, that's when that kingdom is born. So it's already on the earth right now. But anyway, and it is rolling forth through knowledge and information through this radio program. Anyway, go ahead, Kim. Have any of the Christian churches claimed to have received direction to establish this kingdom? Do any of them ordain men as kings to rule and reign on earth? When Christians today repeat the Lord's Prayer, they pray, Thy kingdom come, but yet they continue to support the kingdoms of Babylon and its tyrannical governments. Wicked men corrupt financial systems and unjust laws, lawyers and judges. They have no more concept of the kingdom of God than the heathen. Instead of searching for the kings and priests of God's kingdom to rule over them, they vote. Sorry, he needed a bite. (laughs) Okay, back to reading. Instead of searching for the kings and priests of God's kingdom to rule over them, they vote for Democrats and Republicans. How long do you suppose it would take these Christian Democrats and Republicans to usher in the millennium? Page 169. Most of today's Christians are unworthy to receive any more authority or kingly ordinations. They have created such monstrous demonstrations of killing each other in unrighteous wars that they are a shame to the nation or to the name of Christ. For nearly 2,000 years, they have instigated more wars with each other than any other race or religion of people. Their atrocities of torture, barbarity, and murder are a stink in the nostrils of the king of peace. John Taylor asked in The Government of God, Taylor, page 60, quote, does God set up Christian kings to fight against Christian kings and Christian subjects to destroy Christian subjects? I know they call upon God, but what to do? In their ways, they ask him to destroy one another. This patchwork dominion in Mongol Christianity, although they may be quite feasible in the dark, yet they present a curious spectacle when brought into the light of truth, end quote. The government of God Taylor, page 60. Because of such wickedness, John Taylor challenged the authority of the rest of the world to rightfully ordain kings. This is a very long quote um, from the same um, book, The Government of God, um, Taylor, page 58, quote, I am aware that kings and queens are anointed and set apart by their different ministers. According to the different forms and creeds of several countries, over which they reign. There are two things necessary, however, to make their authority legal and to authorize them to act as God's representatives on the earth. The first is that they should be called of God, 
And the second, that the persons by whom which they are anointed are duly authorized to anoint them. First, then, it may be necessary to observe that if kings and queens are of God's selection and are his representatives, they must themselves be appointed by him. For if not so, how can they be considered his representatives? The prophet Jose complains that they have set up kings, but not by me. They have made princes, and I knew it not. 8.4. If they are sent by him, they must understand their office and calling and designs of the Lord concerning the people whom they govern, the same as a governor of a province or minister. Uh, a plenipotentiary receives his credentials from the prince or court whom he serves. If then we examine the position of kings and their relationship to their divine sovereign, we shall find that there is sick, S-I-C, only two ways for this calling to be legal. It must have been given either by God through revelation to the ancestors or the reigning kings and handed down in an unbroken descent to the present time or otherwise given by direct revelation and then set apart by a prophet of the Lord. But no nation, kingdom, or king in existence will acknowledge either of these ways. That is end quote again from the government of God, Taylor, page 58. In the restoration of the priesthood through Joseph Smith, this correct order of kings in God's kingdom was reestablished, whereby worthy men can be made kings so they can have a kingdom of their own. According to Brigham Young in the Journal of Discourse, volume 3, page 265 and 66, quote, we understand that we are to be made kings and priests unto God. Now, if I be made king and a lawyer or a lawgiver to my family, and if I have many sons, I shall become the father of many fathers, for they will have sons, and their sons will have sons, and so on, from generation to generation. And in this way, I may become the father of many fathers, or the king of many kings. This will constitute every man a prince king, lord, or whatever the father sees fit to con confer upon us. In this way, we can become king of kings and lord of lords, or father of fathers, or prince of princes. And this is the only course for another man is, for another man is not going to raise up a kingdom for you. And quote, Journal Discourse, Volume 3, page 265 and 66. Ordinations of kings must be a legitimate calling, not a haphazardous ordination such as found in the confused Christian churches. John Taylor explained in Government of God, Taylor, pages 59 and 60, quote, Authority to anoint kings and queens in order that they may be anointed of the Lord must be given in one of three ways. It must first have been given by revelation to the primitive Christian church, authorizing them to administer in this ordinance and empowering their successors to do it. Secondly, by direct revelation or otherwise, thirdly, it must have been transmitted from the ancient Jews through a lineal descent. In regard to the first, we find no such record in the New Testament, neither Jesus nor his apostles, nor any of the 70, nor elders ever administered in this ordinance or spoke of as it being as, I'm sorry, of it as being associated with the powers of their ministry. Consequently, no power can come from there. In regard to the second position, all Christendom denied present revelation, and thus, from their own confession, they have not obtained their authority from that source. And in regard to the third, if there was authority associated with the Jews to ordain the kings, the Christians certainly could not claim a Jewish right. For the Jewish nation and authority were all destroyed. They were broken off because of unbelief. See Romans chapter 11, verses 17, 19, 20. The Christians obtained all their authority to officiate from Jesus Christ and not from the Jews. Whichever way you look at it, there is no foundation for any such authority. And consequently, the anointing is all a farce, for it does not originate with God. End quote. That's government of God. Taylor, pages 59 through 60. And in between that long quote, we're actually on page 171. Did you have anything to add? 
No, I'm currently zipping along past the scales at 68 miles an hour trying to get out of this area. So I'm just going to oh, be at myself because okay. I'm going to break up anyway. All right, continuing on. If worthy saints are to be made kings and priests, queens and priestesses, then when and where are they ordained as such? John the Revelator said that several were made kings when he was alive, so it is not a heavenly ordination. It is an earthly office that can last forever, still depending on worthiness, and is part of the ordination of the second anointing. According to one account, um, this is going to be another long quote from... Tell it all, Fanny Steinhouse, page 517, quote, When we reached the endowment house, we ladies were shown into one room and our husband into another. We then proceeded to array ourselves in our robes, caps, and aprons, the same as, we, as when we received our first endowments. And when all was ready, we were ushered into another room by one of the brethren, who was also dressed in his his temple robes. There we met our husband and several other brethren, all dressed in the same way. We sat down, and oil was then poured upon the head of our husband by two of the brethren, Daniel H. Wells and another, and he was then ordained a king and a priest to all eternity. After that, we two wives were anointed in like manner and ordained queens and priestesses to reign and rule with our husband over his kingdom in the celestial world. End quote. From Tell It All, Fanny Steinhouse, page 517. And we are on the next page, in case you were following along, 172. So, um, I was talking about this yesterday. It's not just regular olive oil. It is a mix of specific oils that are spiced. Cinnamon, olive, frankincense, myrrh, and I don't remember the other ones, but that they are, and it's poured upon your head. You ever have this happen to you? Lift your head up. <laughs> Don't let that cinnamon get into your into your face because it will sting. When it happened to me, I had my head down. Let's uh, allow them to pour it on the crown of your head so it goes down into your hair because uh, cinnamon in, uh, in the face even if you don't get it in your eyes, it's not comfortable. And I know that by um, you're kind of breaking up a little bit. Oh, did you hear what I was saying, though? Yeah, um, about getting cinnamon in your face because it's not very yeah. good experience. Yeah. yeah. Don't <laughs> bow your head. Lift the front of your head up. Allow the oil to be poured on your head and go down into your hair and then rub it into your hair. Don't let it go into your, on, in your forehead because I had my head down when I did it. And uh, the, that spiced oil went down in. It got on my eyelids, and it didn't get into my eyes, but it still burned. So, anyway, just thought I'd throw that out there for people. At this time... Uh, the participants do not receive a separate priesthood, but rather another order of high priesthood. Elder Orson Pratt explained in the Seer, page 145, quote, The kingly authority is not separate and distinct from the priesthood, but merely a branch or portion of the same. The priestly authority is universal, having power over all things. The kingly authority, until perfected, is limited to the kingdom's place under its jurisdiction. The former appoints and ordains the latter. But the latter never appoints and ordains the former. The first controls the laws of nature and exercises jurisdiction over the elements, as well as over men. The last controls men only and administers just and righteous laws for their government. Where the two are combined an individual per, and the individual perfected, he has almighty power both as a king and as a priest. Both offices are then merged in one, the distinctions then will be merely in the same name or in the name and not the authority. Either as a king or a priest, he will then have power and dominion over all things and reign over all. Both titles combined will then not give him any more power than either one singly. End quote. That's from the seer, page 145. As priesthood kings and priests, 
men are God's representatives on earth, as John Taylor explained in Government of God, Taylor, page 63 through 64, quote, Thus then these men, kings of ancient Israel, i.e. Saul, David, and Solomon, delegated and appointed of God, acted as his representatives on the earth. They received their kingdoms from him. They were anointed by prophets of God who received the word of the Lord concerning them as in the case of Saul and David. And if they departed from God, he chastised or removed them as in the case of Saul and David and of which the history of the kings of Israel is a striking example and faithful commentary. Those that were faithful among them sought to know the mind of God and to carry out his designs. The greatest, most powerful and prosperous rule that ever existed among them as a nation was that of Solomon, who asked and obtained wisdom from God, and that wisdom is as a necessary consequence, brought honor, happiness, security, riches, magnificence, and power. Thus, those kings that were righteous who received their kingdoms from the Lord went to war or proclaimed peace by his directions. They were his representatives on the earth and governed his people as the Lord's anointed. End quote. That is Government of God, Taylor, pages 63 through 64. The Prophet Joseph spoke yep. of the return of... Yes? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I was just going to point out, David wrote Proverbs and Psalms and other things, and he was a king, but he was also prophetic. Uh, he fell because of what happened with Bathsheba, but... I find it interesting that Saul, our King, our, uh, Samuel was the Lord's anointed and anointed David to be a king, but David was also a prophet as well and a king. Just uh, observation, if you will. All right. I'll mute myself. All right. I'll keep talking. The prophet Joseph spoke of the return of Christ's glory, even a celestial glory and a kingdom of priests and kings to God and the Lamb forever. That's Doctrinal History of the Church, volume 4, page 493. Kings and priests unto God possess all the keys and powers necessary to enable them to officiate in all the religious ordinances and to rule over their own kingdoms. They are endowed with the highest order of the keys of the kingdom available to mortal men um so yeah that was the end of that chapter and i didn't really know because it was just right on the next page when i turned the page well there i was like oh yeah so we have the melchizedek priesthood that brings us or gives us the priesthood by the laying on of hands uh and then we have a, a priesthood authority higher than that patriarchal but the highest priesthood that you can receive is the fullness of the priesthood where God himself uh, gives you that priesthood that is only had by those who get it from him. So, and there's, I understand these things because of who I am and what God has shown me, but most people don't understand these things. So, uh, there is a patriarchal and a matriarchal priesthood as well. And uh, have you received your second anointings, um, and it was after that that God commanded me in that revelation to confer matriarchal priesthood upon you. I think that's how it was. And it was like not right after that, but it was like within a couple of months. Um, I am not exactly sure the question that you're asking. <laughs> um. So when we had our second anointing done, and uh-huh. um, at that time you did not receive matriarchal priesthood, uh, I think it was after that that God told me when I, I received that revelation where we're trying to get you, like, you're like asking if you could receive revelation by yourself, and I was like talking oh, to yeah. you about that and mm-hmm. whatever and then God started speaking to me and I just was like okay write this down this is for you <laughs> and um, it was yeah. after the whole ordinance that God told me to confer matriarchal priesthood upon you and the only reason for the uh, audience the only reason why I had the authority to do that 
is because God gave me the the authority to do that back in 2003. Um, you know, if, if that didn't happen, I would never have had the authority to do what I've done in covering the ordinances or uh, conferring uh, later on, conferring matriarchal priesthood upon my wife. So, I don't know, interesting observations, uh, things that I think about when we talk about these things, you know, so. Yep. Uh, guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. Uh, people can call in with any questions or comments. Uh, Kim is going to give us a preview of what we're going to be reading on our next program, which will be Chapter 11. And what is the name of that chapter, Kim? It is Patriarchal Keys. Oh, boy. So we're going to learn about Patriarchal Keys and Patriarchal Priesthood. So anyway, um, like, I don't know if people realize this or not, but there's two things I want to say here. Okay, first of all, you cannot come into the presence of the Father without having the priesthood upon you. Women have priesthood. They cannot come into the presence of the Father without having that priesthood conferred upon them. And it's not just given to you in a temple ceremony. Like um, I was talking to somebody today, and they were like, well, in the temple, women uh, give blessings and, you know, they do all these things. And, and they have priesthood too. And I, I was like, okay, when was it conferred upon them? And she couldn't answer that because it's not conferred upon them. But in order to have the matriarchal priesthood, it actually has to be conferred by the laying on of hands. You don't just get it because your husband has it. And you don't get it through the sealing ordinance either. You get it by the laying on of hands. And in order to come into the celestial kingdom and to be a priestess, which is a priesthood office, and a queen, which is a priesthood office, you have to have priesthood which is matriarchal priesthood, which, uh, you know, early in the early days of the church, they understand, understood these things, but as they have treated these things lightly, God has taken the knowledge away from the church as a whole. And you might find quotes about it, and there are, there are some quotes, there's not a lot, that talk about her priesthood and, and these type of things. You know, and then you're like, well, what does that mean? Well, you got to get revelation to understand it. Or you can listen to a prophet like myself and and then take that to God and ask if it's right, you know, because I don't want you just to listen to me because I claim something. I want you to become a prophet yourself and get revelation for yourself and make sure it's from God through confirmation of the Holy Spirit. So anyway, um, the chat room is open, like I said before at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. And uh, the guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. I'm between Huntington and Castledale right now, so there's really no place for it to break up. So if anybody does call in, we should have a pretty good, clear, you know, no breaking up or anything like that. So, um so go ahead with the preview, and then uh, did you have anything to say before you start the preview? Mm, no, no. Um, this will be Chapter 11, Patriarchal Keys, on page 174. Uh, also, page 988 um, in Ensign to the Nations, Holy Priesthood, Volume 6. Elias, who held the keys of God's church in the days of Abraham and blessed him, has restored the patriarchal powers and graces of the priesthood to link together the families of men in patriarchal order from now to the time of the end. Chronicle history of the church. Chronological history? Which one is that? THC. Correlated history of the church. That's what it is. Correlated history of the church. Volume 6, page 557. To present the information in this chapter in the most organized way, it has been divided as follows. History of Patriarchal Order of Priesthood, The Calling and Mission of Patriarchs, 
three types of patriarchs. Number one, presiding patriarch. Number two, stake patriarch. Number three, family patriarch. The patriarchal laws. Number one, patriarchal order of Enoch, united order. Number two, patriarchal law of marriage, plural marriage. History of patriarchal order of the priesthood. The office and calling of a patriarch reaches back to the beginning of time on this earth. The prophet Joseph looked upon those days and said, I saw Adam in the valley of Adam on Diamond. He called together his children and blessed them with a patriarchal blessing. End quote. From Journal of Discourse, Volume 6, page 238, 1839. And now that's page 175. Do you want me to continue? Okay. Nope, there's two things. Uh, and then we'll end the program okay. if we don't have any callers. Uh, just go ahead and refresh the studio and make sure there's nobody there. Uh, two yep. things. The office of the patriarch is in three different uh, orders of patriarch. That is the presiding patriarch, which is supposed to stand next to the first presidency, just like there's a presiding bishop over the whole church. Hiram Smith was that patriarch that stood next to Joseph Smith. Okay. The last one that the church had before they got rid of the office without revelation was Eldridge G. Smith, who died in the, I think it was April or March of 2013. They did not, they released him long before that, made him an emeritus status, presiding patriarch, did not call another one, have not called another one. And oh, this is going on for like 40-something years now where they haven't called another patriarch of the church, a presiding patriarch, which is apostasy. That is iniquity, and the church is full of iniquity. So anyway, but then there are stake patriarchs. The church still has that position. And then there are patriarchs within families. So I'm the patriarch of my family, and I am also the presiding patriarch under the hand of God until another one is called. But, um, well, let me think. What is the other thing, too? Oh, um, okay. <laughs> I got two different things going on in my head right now. God wants me to speak about Heber J. Grant, so I'm going to talk about that first, and then if I get back to the other one, I will. When Heber J. Grant did what he did in order to become friends with the world, he got very rich from it and put the church in great bondage. Okay, he was the seventh president of the church, which at the Provo Bowery back in the 1850s, I think it was, uh, Brigham Young actually prophesied but by, by the time of the seventh president of this church, this, um, this church would go down into bondage which is exactly what happened. So what did he do? Well, he was friends with the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds and the Illuminati and the bankers and all these guys. And um, Wilfred Woodruff was too, but what he or Jay Grant did was way worse. Well, I don't know if it was where it was. Anyway, they wanted the church to be screwed up with priesthood. So he sold the church into bondage so that he could... Um, by uh, Grant Insurance Company, which made him a very wealthy man, but but, but the Temple Law and the Deseret Gym and uh, the Tabernacle and a bunch of other places that the church owned into bondage to Babylon the Great. And in exchange for that, uh, hold on, I'm going through dead air turn here in Gaffeldale. Can you Kim, can you still hear me? Yes, I can. Can you hear me? Okay, good. I just wanted, yeah, I can hear you now. I was going through Dead Air Turner by Castle Dell. Anyway, in exchange for what Heber J. Grant did, he got very wealthy, very wealthy, but put, put the church in bondage. Um, and what happened was that they stopped conferring priesthood from 1921 until 1957 when David O. McKay set, uh, changed it back 
But for all those years, 37 years I think it was, the church did not confer priesthood. Not all the ordinations and all of the conferrals, but there weren't conferrals. Any temple work done during that time by people who are ordained during that time is illegitimate. It doesn't. It, it has no authority because those people were only ordained to offices within the priesthood without actually having the priesthood conferred upon them. And in that way, Satan was able to win a major victory against the Restoration, and Heber J. Grant was able to become a very wealthy man with, uh, with Grant Insurance Company, uh, and also I think there was something to do with sugar beets and trying to do something else. But anyway, you know, so like when, when we are a threat to the devil's kingdom, he will come after us. Uh, tooth and nail. But when we are not a threat to the devil's kingdom, the devil's kingdom will make friends with us. And that's exactly what you see during the reign of Eber J. Grant. He even talks about that. How uh, he, you know, earlier in life, the saints went through all this persecution. But then um, he found himself in fellowship with uh, all of these churches and all of these corporations and the government and all kinds of stuff. <coughs> Excuse me. And also, he enacted the word of wisdom as a commandment, which is never meant to be a commandment. And uh, they stopped serving wine for sacrament because they did that even after the, the Revelation, uh, DNC section 29, I think it is. It says, make wine or strong drink among you for sacrament. In Bruce R. McConkie, Put in the footnote or in the header uh, the revelation where we can use water. It doesn't say water anywhere in there. But he was Jake Grant's one that made that into a commandment. But he also said during, uh, at the end of his life that the heavens were as brass to him and he had never received any revelation from God. So how was he able to do all the things that he did? Well, he did it because he was getting revelations from, from the adversary. And uh, his physical representation upon the earth, uh, which uh, is the Illuminati and all the government systems of the world and all of that. So uh, Satan won a great victory, and, and uh, part of the apostasy of the church, a great, great portion of it happened during the reign of Heber J. Grant. That's where many people, like the, the priesthood lines of authority, they were stopped. They stopped getting priesthood conferred upon them. And it was never fixed. So um, when Eldridge G. Smith died in 2013, Daniel chapter 12 prophecy was fulfilled where the man clothed in linen severs, raises his arms to the square and severs the power or priesthood of all the holy people. In Daniel chapter 12, go take a look at it. It happens right before the end, which is right now. Prophecy was fulfilled. So anyway... Um, did you refresh that screen, Kim? I sure did. Kim. And yep. no callers, right? And nothing. Nothing even happened. It looks yeah. insane. I always want to say, he whose deeds are evil cometh not unto the light, but... You know, I'm an equal opportunity offender, and I'm sick and tired of these people who want to twist the gospel around uh, to say, oh, we don't have to listen to a prophet. We just have to turn to Christ. Actually, when God sends you a witness, you should listen to him. And when you reject that witness, it's the same as rejecting God himself. And guess who he doesn't accept when he rejects his witnesses? Not you. In fact, the two witnesses that come in the streets of Jerusalem in Revelations chapter 11, it says that the whole world will hear, hear the prophecy of these two witnesses, and they will be mocked, and like eventually they're put to death, and everybody's like, yay, the two, the two lunatic nut jobs are gone, you know. Uh, but when God raises them up after they are severely destroyed, um, their flesh is just completely destroyed, uh, God raises them up after three and a half days, and it, it says that the people at that time, great fear will fall upon them, 
And the reason that is is because those people who rejected and mocked those two witnesses finally realized that they were exactly who they claimed to be, and nobody would listen to them. And those two witnesses are the same as the, the Moroni speaking to Joseph Smith about the man like unto Christ and how he would be rejected by his people. And that prophecy is also being fulfilled in our ears today. So anyway, um, I am going to go into Hunter Power and get this load off. And uh, if you don't have anything to say, um, I'll dedicate the program real quick. Did you have anything to say? No, but I did have a question because um, okay. I don't. There's a whole bunch of little things to hit to play, and I don't usually play it, so I don't know which one I'm supposed to click. Sleep away. Okay, let me find it. Okay, okay. Um, I, I'm going into the power plant. Just uh, play sleep away. We'll be back on tomorrow with the next chapter. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Take care. God bless. And goodbye. Do the music. Bye.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.